Welcome to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with your host, Hank Hanegraaff. The Bible Answer Man is the radio ministry of the Christian Research Institute, designed to equip believers to defend their faith and become true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because life and truth matter. Our phone number is 888-7000-CRI. You can find us on the internet at equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. And now to begin today's broadcast, here's Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. And we'll go right to the phone callers. First up is Eloy. He's listening in El Paso, Texas. Hi. Hi there, Hank. Good. How are you? Great, sir. Great speaking with you. My question is, my son, uh, uh, he told me that he does not believe in Jesus Christ, that, that pretty much he never existed. But he says that he believes in God, that there is a God. So I don't know how to explain this to him. I want your input in that and, and your opinion on how to bring that to him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's great that he believes in God, and certainly the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So if we look at the universe, we know that there's a God, and so intuitively... He knows that there is a God because of the creation in which he resides, but he's also one, as is true with all humanity, who has the knowledge of God written on the tablet of their consciousness. So there's the light of creation, and there's the light of conscience, but the ultimate self-revelation of God is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And the Bible clearly teaches and it is a reliable authority, can be demonstrated as such, that Jesus Christ revealed himself, and this is revealed as Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus Christ came into time and space. Now, the historicity of Jesus Christ is not in question. No one who is competent in the secular world doubts the historicity of Jesus Christ. So this is not simply a spiritual contention or a Christian contention. This is a contention of all those who know about history. So the idea that Jesus never existed is simply an implausible notion. Jesus did exist. Now, the mother of all questions becomes, who do you say that I am? So there are some that say that Jesus is simply an avatar or a messenger. There are others who say that he was a great teacher. Even Muslims say he was sinless, but they think it is a sin to say that he is God. But the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus claimed to be God, and his credentials demonstrate that he was, in fact, a God in human flesh. He had the power to lay down his life and take it up again. He had the supernatural power over sickness and diseases over metaphysical entities. He is the God who created all things. So, again, the historicity of Christ is not in question. Okay, well, you, that, that sounds great. You know, uh, like you were saying, you know, I'm glad he believes in God, but, but he's confused on how Jesus Christ came about and, and, and you know, walked the world and did his actions. So, uh, but very good information, sir. I appreciate your input. You got it. Let's go back to the phone lines, talk to Anthony, Sacramento, California. Hi, Anthony. Yes, hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm a little confused. I came to Christ uh, many, many years ago, and I believe that uh, if you confess your sins, 
that God will come into your life and help change your life and uh, believe in the Bible and go that direction, read your Bible, and uh, that you are saved. Anyway, I was listening to a radio program, and this gentleman was talking about election and predestination. And he stated that the elect were individuals already selected by God, and that predestined were individuals also selected by God, that no one else could be saved by confessing their sins and coming to Christ that way. And so I was a little uh, bent backwards by that statement, and I said, well, who are the elect? And who are predestined? So I'm calling to find out some information about those two subjects, and if there's any information that you could send me, I would appreciate that also. In short, let me say this, that Jesus is the elect one, and if we are in Jesus Christ, then we are by virtue of that elect. And the reality is this, the Holy Spirit woos all of us. We can either respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit or reject the wooing of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we are justly and condignly condemned if, in fact, we choose not to follow the precepts of the kingdom, but live by the dictates of our own will. Understood there, but now who are predestined? Well, again, I think Christ is the predestined one, and if we are found in Christ, then by virtue of that, we are predestined as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So predestination is a biblical idea. What theologians discuss is whether predestination is based on hard determinism, such that we are either doomed from the womb to certain destruction, or we have an ability to choose. Theologians disagree as to whether, again, we are determined through hard determinism, or whether we can, in fact, make real choices, and those real choices matter. Back to our phone callers. Next up is Jim. He's listening in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hi, Jim. Hi, Hank. I'll preface really quickly. 1992, I heard a gentleman. He said, check me out. My opinion is no more important than anyone else's. The court of final arbitration is the Word of God. Hmm. And that has transformed my walk since then. Oh, wonderful. Uh, listening to you in the call out of Weva at the time. Uh -huh. Thank you. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, my question is about the concept of the apostle, mm -hmm. the prophet. I'm seeing a lot of, in my particular church culture, someone will come in and say, I'm the apostle. I've been called to be the apostle. So my question is, what is the criteria of an apostle? How does one get to that particular office, and by what authority? That troubles me, to yeah. have someone preach for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, then they'll lay hands on folks and, you know, okay, God tells me you're going to be a dog catcher, God tells me you're going to go to Haiti and win the world. So you sort of, I hope I'm being clear. Sure, yeah, very, very clear. And I think what's important, Jim, is to realize that words and phrases are not univocal, they are equivocal, which is to say that the word apostle could be used in the sense of a church planter or a missionary or a pastor of pastors. And in the same way, prophet could be used in the sense of a leader who challenges the church to deeper commitment to Christ. However, and you've alluded to this in the prologue to the question, the words apostle and prophet must not be used in a synonymous sense 
with the first century apostle John or with the Old Testament prophet like Jeremiah, people whose authority cannot be questioned or who receive new doctrinal revelations simply don't exist today. There are no new doctrinal revelations. In fact, the Bible teaches that apostles and prophets were commissioned by God to be his personal spokespersons. And as Ephesians 2 tells us, a church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Clearly then, those who claim to be that kind of apostle and prophet have taken upon themselves authority that has not been given to them by God. They're simply commanding that authority for themselves. So in one sense, you can use the word as a missionary, speaking of an apostle or a prophet in the sense of someone who can speak not in foretelling the future, but forth-telling for edification and equipping and exhortation and so forth, but not in the sense of someone who can foretell what you're going to do in the future or who can have the authority of the biblical apostles and prophets. Okay, awesome. If you would, just quickly, share with me just a couple of uh, your nuggets of wisdom from God's Word and your own wisdom. How can I share with my pastor, my parish, that Sometimes this is dangerous, because I've seen young believers, young in age or either young in their walk, they get this prophecy told over them, and if it doesn't come true, they become disenchanted with the Lord. And some even leave the church, and then I'll be done, sir. Thank you. No, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, the prophetic words of Scripture expose today's pretenders. And for the reason that you mentioned, not only do they fail the biblical test given in Deuteronomy 13 and 18, as well as, for example, in the New Testament in Acts chapter 1, but they're mouthing empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature, they're enticing people who are just escaping from the world to live in error, just as they themselves are living in error. And so it's a very, very dangerous practice. And you're right. I mean, what happens is these people will prophesy something over a person's life and turn them in the wrong direction, as opposed to what we ought to be doing. We ought to be led by the Spirit through people and through circumstances, but ultimately within the parameters of the precepts and principles given to us in the Word of God. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Jim. Back in just a few moments with more. You thought only religions have dogmas? Think again. Because wokeism has its dogmas, and these dogmas demand obedience, not merely consent. Obey or be canceled. No dissent allowed. The problem is that woke dogmas are a path straight to civilization hell. Because the dogmas of this social disease are so deadly, we've tackled them head-on in an upcoming special edition of the Christian Research Journal. The fact that even historically sane institutions are daily falling victim to this pan-dementia demonstrates how deceptively dangerous this mental cancer actually is. To receive your copy of the special woke edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. Stay with us. Hank Hanegraaff will be back with more right after this. 
With over half a million copies in print, Hank Hanegraaff's Bible Answer Books were born out of his many years of hosting the Bible Answer Man broadcast. He's taken his on-air answers to questions and chiseled them until only the gems emerge. Questions involving biblical interpretation, cults, science, ethics, apparent contradictions, and much more. This remarkable collection of concise answers is now even better. My goal, says Hank, is to take the complex and make it simple and memorable. Receive your copy of the complete Bible Answer Book Collector's Edition revised and updated as our thank you for your gift by calling 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support CRI's life-changing outreaches. 888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org. That's equip.org. If you thought the pandemic was scary, it may actually pale in comparison to today's pandementia. We're talking about wokeism and its growing legions of followers who have defiantly and dangerously declared their independence from reality. That's right, for those infected by the woke virus, anytime their ideology encounters reality, ideology wins. To help halt the advance of this deadly social and mental disease, you'll want a copy of the upcoming special edition of the Christian Research Journal. In it, you'll feast on penetrating analyses and criticisms of one of the most dangerous ideologies in modern history, all written to help you grasp just how deranged this tyrannical movement actually is. To receive your copy, visit equip.org, that's equip.org, or call 888-7000-CRI, that's 888-7000-CRI. The number of wolves surrounding the Christian flock is growing, and they relish nothing more than docile sheep utterly incapable of defending themselves. From militant secularists at home to militant Islamists abroad, the assaults on biblical Christianity are growing dangerously. But Christian Research Institute support team members aren't in favor of feeding these wolves. Instead, each day they're making possible an array of outreaches that defang these wolf packs with solid arguments and evidence that have stood the test of time. What's more, support team members are equipping themselves with CRI's Equipping Essentials, a hand-picked collection of the best apologetics tools around. Your selection of resources are just our way of saying thanks. To learn more about the benefits of membership, simply visit equip.org. Once again, that's equip.org. And now, here's Hank Hanegraaff. Back to the phone lines, Robert in Norfolk, Virginia. Hi, Robert. Hey, Hank, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hi, uh, my question is... uh... I have a brother who's a homosexual, but he says he's a Christian at the same time. Is it still possible that they can still go to heaven? Well, I think the real question is not whether a homosexual can go to heaven, but whether someone wants to be a participant in the kingdom. If you want to be a participant in the kingdom, you recognize that you're a sinner, you're willing to repent of your sin, and then follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. And following Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life means that you now adhere to the principles and precepts of the kingdom. 
And therefore, you conform your ways to the pattern given to you by Christ. Why? Because if he created the universe, if he knit you together in your mother's womb, then he knows what's best for you. Now, all of us have besetting sins. All of us sin every single day in thought, word, and deed. So we are, as a human race, fallen in sin. The question now is, do we want to remain in that sin, or do we want a relationship with the one who did all that was necessary so that we can be once again reunited in fellowship with a holy God? And so if this person who says they're gay, and I think that being gay is not an identity, it's a behavior. And therefore, I would even, in that sense, say that that behavior can be modified as a result of following Jesus Christ, following his precepts, again, and his principles as a participant of the kingdom. Okay, so say like uh, like he said, what if they have like slip-ups? They're trying to change, but they slip up, and or like someone who steals, you know? they become a Christian and, you know, they have their little slip-ups or whatever and say, like, after they slip up, whatever, and then they die or whatever, do they still go to heaven? Well, God is not trying to catch us on technicalities, and all of us are going to die in our sin. The point is, are you someone who wants a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you are one of those who wants a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are a participant of the kingdom. When you slip up, as you put it, then you confess your sins, recognizing that he is faithful and just, will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But in the process, we also partake of means. The means is encapsulated in the graces that are part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus Christ within the context of a healthy, well-balanced church. Okay, so it's possible, right? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are heterosexual sinners, and there are homosexual sinners, and there are just plain old sinners, which is to say, all of us fall into the category of sin. But we do not live lives of willful, ongoing disobedience. If we are disobedient, then we ask for forgiveness. And we know, based on Scripture, that God is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins, and will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Okay. All right. Is it possible I could ask one more question? Yeah, go ahead. All right. uh, Those... uh passage I wanted to hear you to clarify for me, uh, Luke 14, 25 through 27. Uh-huh. Uh, where it says, uh, hold on, I'm driving, I'm a truck driver, I'm driving, I'm trying to, really, it says something about, uh, where Jesus told everyone uh, who does, everyone who doesn't hate uh, their father and mother and their wife and children, something like that. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly what that passage so says. In fact, telling them to hate everyone or something like that? No, not at all. It means that, in fact, in the same passage, we are told to honor our father and mother. So hate means to love less. Obviously, it could not mean anything else in that, as I just mentioned, we're told to love our mother and our father. So this is hyperbole. We must love Christ more than even father and mother and family. But this would have offended 
religious Jews who held that only God is to receive greater honor and devotion than family. In other words, Jesus is requiring of his disciples what is due only to God. And in this passage, Jesus once again is not only talking about the cost of discipleship, but is reaffirming the fact that he is in fact God in human flesh. Okay. Okay, I got you. I got you. I appreciate it. Bye. You got it, Reverend. I'm glad you didn't try to look up the passage while you were driving truck. Let's go back to the phone lines, talk to Jeff in California. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how you doing, Hank? Good, how are you? Pretty good. I was listening to uh, your program, and I heard a caller call in to something, ask you something about uh, your take on the fallen angels mating with women on the earth at Genesis 6. Yep. And uh, I had a little trouble kind of... Uh, going over your answer. I think uh, I remember you said it wasn't wasn't true, or could you uh, recap back on that answer? Yeah, I'm saying that Genesis 6 has nothing to do with fallen angels having sex with women. Genesis 6 has everything to do with judgment on fallen humanity, and that judgment comes through the flood. There's no way that uh, demons can have sex with women because they're non-sexual or asexual beings, and they're non-physical beings, and as such, they cannot reproduce with women. Right. Okay. Well, I don't think the conti- I don't want like to continue with you or nothing. But I was just wondering because when I read in Jude, Jude references the Book of Enoch. Yes, that's true. And when and when we read the Book of Enoch, um, the Book of Enoch actually tells us the origin of demons and the uh, sin that the fallen angels partook in which is actually kind of mixing their DNA with uh, mankind and with uh, animals. Um, and, and actually today they're digging up bones of giant skulls of humans and, and things of that nature. What's your take on that? Well, first of all, Jude's quotation does not mean that the Book of Enoch was inspired in the sense of supernaturally revealing new truth. Jude simply found a quotation in the book of Enoch to be a helpful confirmation of truth that was already known. And, of course, all truth is God's truth, whether you find it in the book of Enoch or anywhere else. So that does not mean that even if the book of Enoch would ascribe to the notion that demons can have sex with women, that that is part and parcel of a biblical worldview. It simply is not. It's an interjection of pagan mythology on the Scripture. Again, because demons are non-sexual, they're non-physical beings, and as such, they cannot reproduce with women. Women are physical beings. Not right, only so that, you're but saying that they cannot materialize in the celestial. Of course, they cannot materialize. If they could materialize, then not only could they have sex with women back then, but they could have sex with women now. But furthermore, you'd have an attendant problem. If they could materialize, they could have masqueraded as the resurrected Christ. Now you'd lose epistemic warrant for the central event in the historic Christian faith, and it would denude Christ's argument of any significance when he said, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. So this is a very serious interjection of paganism on a biblical worldview that has extreme extraordinary ramifications once you allow that metaphysical foot into the physical world. Right. So there's, there's been injections, actual injections in Scripture, you're saying, by some of the scribes uh, 
that were maybe in King James' kingdom, uh, when King James was ruling, because, I mean, when you get the King James Version, I mean, that's, uh, we're reading this, and, and when it actually says that, are did you saying that those are actual injections in Scripture? No, I'm not because, saying it's, uh, I, I think this is a matter of interpretation. So what people do to come up with the interpretation is they take the phrase sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 and they import a meaning into that phrase or moniker from another part of the Bible. And that is a mistake because words and phrases are not univocal, they're equivocal. So Satan can be called God, but certainly not God in the sense of the same ontology as God, the same essence or being as God. He's called the God of this world. Human beings are called God. Moses is called a God to the people. But he's not God in the sense of having the nature of God, but God in the sense of having the responsibility of representing God to the people. So words and phrases take on the meaning that the context allows them to have, to import the meaning of God into sons of God such that they become fallen angels, I think, is completely unwarranted by the context. Context, context, context. Now, I have written about this in some detail in a couple of different places. One is in the complete Bible Answer Book Collector's Edition. And as I think, we also did, and this was not authored by me, but by another author, a fairly in-depth piece on this in the Christian Research Journal, which I think is up on the web as well. You can check it out. At Equip.org, going to have to leave it at that. Look forward to answering more questions next time. Thank you for joining us for the Bible Answer Man broadcast. In today's post-truth culture of confusion, the Christian Research Institute exists to equip listeners like you with answers to communicate the gospel of hope to a world in desperate need of life and truth. Because life and truth matter. In addition to truth, we want to equip you with life not simply to know about God, but truly to know Him. Experiencing union with Christ enables us to live life not merely by our own energy, but with the energy of the Lord Jesus working powerfully through us. For more information, call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. You can also write CRI at Post Office Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28271. Or just visit us online at equip.org. That's equip.org. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is funded by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. A deeper understanding of the Bible's principles and truths will improve the spiritual, moral, and ethical problems facing our nation. Yet the obstacle isn't that the Bible doesn't speak to our greatest needs or answer our deepest questions. It's that the average person lacks the time and tools to extract the answers. That's why Hank Hanegraaff wrote the complete Bible Answer Book Collector's Edition revised and updated. This expanded edition addresses over 210 of the top questions he's received as host of the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Hank has taken the complex and made it simple and memorable. Receive the revised and updated complete Bible answer book as our thank you for your gift by calling 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support CRI's life-changing outreaches. 
888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org. That's equip.org.